Greetings and salutations to you all. This is Dee Dee Moonflyer. Welcome to Twilight Tonic, your weekly voyage to points distant and parts unknown. We'll discuss all things paranormal, spiritual, weird, and wonderful. So if you're ready, grab your favorite tonic, your best comfy chair, and let's begin. Tonight on Twilight Tonic, we have some of the most amazing guests, I must say. Tonight, I've been really looking forward to this interview, and it's another show I'd like to dedicate to my mom, who was huge into the UFO world. She really loved doing research and loved to hear about it. Tonight, we have Sean Hurd, who has written an amazing book, The Identified Aerial Phenomena, A Beginner's Guide to Research in UFOs. He's the Assistant State Director at Arizona MUFON, and he is also a civic engineer. How are you tonight, Sean? Yeah, doing great, Thank you so much. Of course. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got started in all of this amazing research that you do today? Yeah, absolutely. So I I was your uh, typical person growing up, maybe like, a very mild interest in UFOs. And then, um, you know, I got busy with life and, you know, got married and had kids and developing a career. And I really didn't spend any uh, time or attention on UFOs. But um, in 1997, well, I had moved to Arizona in 1980. Mm-hmm. And in 97, a very significant event occurred. And that was the Phoenix Lights. And for your listeners who might not know, the Phoenix Lights incident was uh, the largest mass UFO sighting mm-hmm. uh, in modern day history. Literally thousands, perhaps tens of thousands and even millions of people um, uh, may have seen it. And certainly thousands made reports. And it was uh, a series of either a large craft or multiple large crafts as big as a mile across wow. uh, traverse, yeah, uh, traverse the state of Arizona, sort of from Las Vegas and then all the way through Arizona and down into Mexico over about a three-hour period. And there were really kind of two pieces to it. One was that event, and many people saw that craft, and it was flew very low and mm-hmm. slow over Arizona. And um, and then uh, later in the evening, there was a display of lights over some mountains south of Phoenix. And at the time, the population of Phoenix was about 2.5 million people. So a lot of people got to look at these things. And then in fact, it kind of blew up because in the days and weeks thereafter, local media, you know, kind of chewed through it. And then um, national media got a hold of it, became a worldwide uh, sensation. So that certainly caught my attention. And in fact, many people were out that evening looking at the Hell Bop Comet. 
Mm-hmm. And that was my case as well. Some friends of ours in northern Scottsdale uh, invited us over to the house for dinner. And then we we're going to spend the evening looking through the telescope at, you know, at the comet. And it was very dark in this part of Scottsdale. And so we did that. And uh, unfortunately, we didn't see anything in terms of Phoenix lights. Uh, we were about 30 miles kind of north and, and east of where, where that was occurring. But... Um, what really caught my attention was the reaction of the community to it. And so, and by, by community, I mean, you know, certainly the general public, uh, the media, uh, the government, um, all of them had really strong reactions to this. And I found it just fascinating in a political science sort of way. Um, and in fact, the governor put on a spoof, press conference trying to he he claimed you know to calm everyone down and uh yet it irritated a lot of people because it felt like he was mocking them and um but any rate later like 10 years later he revealed in a movie uh that uh, like a document uh documentary by james fox called out of the blue Mm -hmm. and he admitted he just dropped this bomb on james that he had in fact seen the ufo personally himself but he was too afraid to come forward so that's all been well documented since that time and um so that sparked my interest in in ufos uh a little bit more than i had before and by this time you know i had my family and career going and and they started following the topic of ufos but it was really in 2010 where i i i got quite interested and began to study the subject. And the first book I had read was called The Day After Roswell, mm-hmm. which, you know, Roswell is probably the world's most famous UFO incident. Um, and I read that book and I kind of was, I, I thought some of it was dubious. Some of it seemed plausible type of thing. Right. And I kind of almost gave up on the topic. But then um, a new book just come out by Leslie King, who was an investigative reporter, not necessarily a UFO person. And she wrote this wonderful book called UFOs, uh, Pilots, Generals, and Public Officials mm-hmm. Go on the Record. And so it was like a book of case studies of all these various cases, uh, UFO cases, and um, the details about them. But she wrote this as an investigative a reporter researched it as such and just came off as powerfully, you know, factual and, you know, really interesting, incredible. And so that really whet my appetite. And from there, it was onto the races. I read every book I could get my hands on and watched every documentary and movie and TV show and mm-hmm. all of those things. And after a few years, I'm like, well, now that I've gained this knowledge, what am I going to do with it? I'm kind of tired of <laughs> reading about other people's experiences, and I would like to have my own, you know. Mm-hmm. And I looked around sort of the landscape of ufology. Um, I got on Facebook at the time, and there was a community there and starting engaging there. And um realized that this was something that I would like to pursue. And and so I, I looked around and I saw uh, MUFON, which stands for the Mutual UFO Network. And it really appealed to me because 
um, you know, I've been in uh, government probably 25 years now or pushing and I knew I could function in a large organization and, and, and MUFON seemed like that to me. And so just a little background on MUFON, it was formed in 1969 after the Air Force closed Project Blue Book. Project Blue Book, the government's largest UFO study um, uh, project uh, to date. And they, they investigated some 12,000 cases, but I'll say investigated loosely. It was largely a PR move to excuse away the whole phenomena because they just didn't want to deal with it. But that's for another story. <laughs> but at any rate, um, that gave birth to MUFON. And MUFON now has 5,000 members, probably 1,000 investigators and support personnel. And over the 50-some years we've been in existence, we have you know, a couple hundred thousand uh, cases uh, on record. And um, in 2015, I joined MUFON, became a member. In 2017, I became uh, an investigator. And then in 2020, I became an assistant director uh, here in the Arizona chapter. And then in 2020, I also wrote my book mm -hmm. and I continued to investigate cases, uh, do public speaking, uh, podcasts, television. I've been on Ancient Aliens and History's Greatest Greece, for example, and some other things that I've done. So uh, I'm having the time of my life with this. <laughs> it's so fascinating. And I recently joined... Um, what we call the experiencer resource team uh -huh. with MUFON, specifically with individuals who have had contact cases, abductions, or experiencers. Um, and we help them cope sort of with the trauma of what they've experienced. So on the one side, I'm an investigator, uh, and I've investigated, you know, 150 cases or so. That's and then incredible. I've got a couple dozen of the uh, ERT cases now over the past year. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a full load and a full schedule, but I just find it so fascinating. The people are wonderful. Uh, the data is wonderful. I'm, I, you know, I have a scientific bent to me and this, this investigative and scientific, you know, application of these principles really rings my bell. So uh, I'm just, you know, completely enjoying it. And um, it's really put me into contact with fascinating people just like yourself. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> uh, Out of curiosity, um, Project Blue Book, was, was that an associated with Dayton, Ohio and the Air Force there? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, okay. uh, Headquarters for it was at Wright Patterson yeah, Air Force. I'm State. from Dayton, actually. Oh, how cool! Yeah, yeah. It started in 1952 and ran to 1969, so almost 20 years. Yeah. And um, it was operated out of Wright Patterson. Uh, and I think you might be familiar with this name, perhaps as Dr. J. Allen Hynek, who. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was the Northwestern astronomer who was employed by the Air Force to be the scientific advisor for that that program. And he was very skeptical at, at first, 
Um, but over the years, as he progressed through all of these cases, he realized that there was really something to it. And in fact, when uh, Blue Book was closed, he started uh, his own UFO organization called KUFOS, which mm. is the Center for UFO Studies. And he's written several books on it, and he became a big advocate for UFOs, where in the past he was a debunker. In fact, I'm sure you've heard the pejorative um, term swamp gas. Well, that was one of his cases in 1968, and that was one of the, you know, sort of dubious identifiers of what, you know, a couple people, a couple hundred people saw this uh, in Hillsborough, Michigan, I think it was, in 1968. And in fact, uh, the congressman of that day was Gerald Ford, who later became president. And Gerald Ford was so incensed by this, the Air Force's obvious debunking and and this ludicrous term, swamp gas, that he demanded there be uh, congressional hearings. So the first congressional hearings on UFOs occurred in 1968 at the behest of uh, who would later become president, Gerald Ford. Mm-hmm. So kind of interesting history. Wow. UFOs are, are just steeped in our country's history. And, um, you know, many of our presidents have commented um, mm-hmm. uh, on it. And, um, you know, I just, I, I find it a welcome part of our history. It, it's really interesting. Um you know, like re- the most recent news reports that were, you know, a while back mentioned UFOs, unidentified mm-hmm. flying objects. But because of what was going on in the world between the Ukrainian war, the pandemic, nobody really paid attention. They just laughed it off. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I, I have to say that, you know, having studied this topic and been under the influence of the taboo, which is basically if you show any interest, you know, you're ridiculed, right? Right, Um, I didn't want my family to know at first. You know, I was in a religion. I didn't want them to know at first. I didn't want my workplace to know. But then in time, once I got my, you know, felt around the subject and felt confident, and then I revealed myself. And to my surprise, everybody was interested, you know, on a on a personal level, when you talk to someone one on one, they're more apt to reveal their true feelings on something. So I found that to be be the case, and it was almost like the higher the educated the people, the more accepting they were mm-hmm. of the possibility. And um, you know, I work with engineers and you know people with master's degrees and PhDs and all, and all of that. And um, you know, they they demonstrated you know. Uh, very positive interest. So that was a little bit surprising to me. And I felt bad that I had that fear at first, but you know, that fear has gripped everyone for, for decades. So oh, it was exactly. a real pleasure when in 2017, what happened to kind of change the taboo was the 2004 USS Nimitz case, uh, a nuclear powered aircraft carrier off the coast of California. And then, um, in 2015, the USS Roosevelt, also a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier off the coast, off the Atlantic, or in the Atlantic, off the coast of like the Carolinas and stuff, both had these fantastic UFO uh, incidences, and they 
they um, became public in 2017. And there's three videos that most people have seen, I think, are the Go Fast mm -hmm. video, the Tic Tac video, and the Gimbal video, um, that the, the DOD released those that led to this whole kind of releasing of the taboo because, um, you know, national media started reporting in a serious way and people were able to talk. And the people that came out, um, Lou Elizondo and Chris Mellon and, and Jim Semivan and, and uh, Steve Justice, these are all high-level people in the, the um, intelligence community, the Department of Defense, uh, Lockheed, um, Skunk Works, uh, CIA, all of these people were behind this and stepping out in front of the camera and saying, mm -hmm. yeah, this stuff is real. And, you know, that's when serious considerations started to come about. And it's culminated in, in uh, you know, 2020. We had a, a report from uh, the U.S. government on UFOs, another one in, in 2022. Uh, and we just recently had one a few weeks back where uh, the these individuals had got Congress interested and involved. And in fact, they they have now formed uh, what is called Arrow, and it's an all-domain anomaly resolution office. Hmm. And what it is, designed to collect reports from within the entire U.S. government, military and intelligence and everyone else. Uh, and have they have specific reporting procedures now where you won't be ridiculed, your career won't be threatened, any of that. It's like, hey, if you're having these yeah, in the course of your duties, report it. And so this is being collected, and these reports will ultimately, I think, be investigated uh, and researched. They're, they're primary military cases and intelligence cases within within the government. But, hey, I'm grateful for anything. And, mm -hmm. um, and where we're at right now is we are, we are you know, um, getting reports from the U.S. government. Now, I I have fear it will be much like Project Blue Book, where they will. Oh, I was thinking about that. Really, yeah, they'll whisk away the really meaningful, important cases and and throw us a bone on the cases that they can solve. You know, I mm -hmm. that that's my fear. But uh, I'll reserve judgment and let them, you know, proceed through this process before before I make my final judgment on that. So I look forward to it. At least now I can operate and many others without, you know, fear of reprisal. And, you know, people are taking it serious. We're being taken seriously. Um, and, and that feels much better than being ridiculed. So oh, definitely. to me, right now, golden age of ufology because we are out in the open and people are interested and in taking it serious so uh, I, I'm just you know I, I just can't be any happier about it right now so with some of the I know you work with people that have had contact with these beings do you find that often runs in families or do you find it's very random yes no that's a great question um that so there are recurring patterns in these cases and so let me say the biggest umbrella term would be an experiencer mm -hmm. and then uh, 
And that encompasses everything, right? It could be an abduction. It could be something different. But someone is having experience. And then kind of under that are contactees where specifically people are being contacted by, an, a, you know, a non-human intelligence, whether it's, you know, psychically or, or otherwise. And then you have abductees, you know, people who are having these physical experiences. And, and so... Um, that's why I kind of use the, the term experiencer because it, it's more encompassing, just like UAP, unidentified aerial phenomena, is more encompassing than UFO, unidentified flying object, right? So right. people are reporting things that you can't call an object. That's why phenomena is better. So in application of, or applying that to, to the same, the abductee contactee or experiencer is sort of a higher level term but um yeah so when people make these uh reports uh for in the case of mufon they have a questionnaire that they fill out about 25 questions and these questions help you know determine what type of experience it is that they're having and then uh you know there's also additional uh, information collected and this this information gets compiled in a database and of course it's all anonymous and no, no one's identity is revealed revealed but the the idea is that these data points get aggregated and you can do quantitative and qualitative analysis on that and you and what you find are these really interesting patterns so i'm sorry it's a long way to answer your question oh, no, but i wanted to give some background on it so like say for example a recurring pattern is um often that uh experiencers are generational so so for an individual experiencer it might start in their childhood right and they they have maybe two or three or four who knows it can really range experiences throughout their life and as an adult they finally Maybe it clicks with them what's happening and they, they want to talk about it. Um, and, you know, again, it's taboo, right? They hide it. They don't want to be thought they're crazy. Oh, Can you imagine if you even report a UFO or say you saw one, people, you know, give you the business. Could you imagine how tough it'd be to say, well, I've had an actual experience with a being, you know, that it's just I, I feel bad for someone in that position because they, you know, they they just have there's not many places they can go to share their experience and be accepted and, and taken seriously. So that's one of the really important things we do at MUFON is help, help people who you could arguably say have been traumatized yeah, and help cope with the situation. And we can offer them, you know, first of all, just a hearing non-judgmental ear. And for many that, that, that's great. That's all they want and need. They got it off their chest and somebody, Absolutely, you know, yeah. Or it may may lead to something more like they want to, you know, engage in hypnosis or, or mm-hmm. regression, or they or they want to be part of a uh, of an experience or group, which is super effective, right? It's like therapy where you can, you know, share with others that have had similar experiences. So, uh, you know, these are really important ways to help these people. And then we see recurring patterns like. Um, uh, missing time is a big one, right? So yeah. they, they, yeah, you, you know, they, they know they've had an experience, 
uh, and they, but they, they can't remember it and they certainly lost time. And that, that's a big one. Uh, another kind of interesting one that's a little more obscure, but the, the data and the percentages, which I don't have off the top of my head, indicate that there's, there's definitely a pattern to this, is that many people who have, are experiencers have the RH factor in their blood, the rhesus factor, um, which is, is an outlier among blood types. There's no uh, scientific explanation for where this this came from and so it's kind of a bit of an anomaly itself from a medical perspective but it's interesting that the, that a higher percentage of experiencers have the RH factor than any other like group of people you could take out out of society so yeah i think that's pretty fascinating and then you know there's just other factors you know um you know nosebleeds or uh, people have certain fears uh, that they didn't have in the past of maybe, you know, uh, a certain place like a campground or whatever. And, you know, you can see how it would connect to where they were abducted or whatever. And so there's just a lot of these, you know, factors uh, that come up. And, and, and what I really find interesting is the experiences can be very different, yet there's this thread a commonality through all of them. So um, I, I just I just think that's so interesting that, that there's really something here. Uh, it, it, it's a pattern and Absolutely. it interacts with the way. So what that is, I don't know, but it is right. That that's right. that's that's for sure. So and 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 listen, people might be shocked by this, but. The number of experiencers earthwide, you know, it is likely in the millions. Oh, I I believe that absolutely. Yeah, it, absolutely. I, that really floored me, but now I can see why. That you just imagine, for the last at least fifty, sixty years, people have had these experiences and kept them to themselves and had it bottled up, and and now with the with this lifting of the taboo. And other factors, uh, they're they're more willing to come out and and address it. So I, I think you know millions is, is not an exaggeration. So um, pretty fascinating topic, really. It, it's really interesting, and, and it's like I told you earlier. My mom saw one when she was pregnant with me. Mm-hmm. But it goes back like a lot of my family in upstate New York has run into those constantly seeing UFOs and up in the woods near water. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it goes back way back. So I would think most likely a lot of people have had experiences. They might've thought they were dreams. They might've thought they were nightmares or anything else, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that. And, and New York has really been one of consistently uh, one of the top five for reports for MUFON for decades. Arizona is mm-hmm. oh, California, Florida, and Texas. But um, you know, I have many acquaintances from from New York to who have had experiences there. And um, in fact, there was. Uh, uh, what is called a flap, sometimes F L A P, 
Mm-hmm. It's where mm-hmm. theories of UFO events occur over you know a long period of time. And mm-hmm. one famous one is the Hudson Valley flap. Um, and uh, in the 80s uh, and 90s, many reports came out of UFOs and, and big, big ones, you know, big boomerang shaped yeah, UFOs. That. Yeah. And I mean, police had saw, uh, reported seeing them and people of all walks of life. And, you know, it, it's, a cor- it, it's occurred really over decades there. And so it's a real hot spot. And then again, I have personal friends in the UFO community who they had their experiences there in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. Um, like Just like you said, in the woods, you know, that's a commonality, um, you know, near water. A real good friend of mine, Ryan Sprague, he, his, he had his experiences come out and, and told people was over a lake in upstate New York, you know, mm-hmm. when he was a 14-year-old kid and, and I, you know, have various friends that, that have these experiences. And so New York's really, really is a hot spot for whatever reason, you know, we don't understand or know why, um, but they do occur. You think it's due to resources and isolation? Well, yeah, so the, you're right. There, there could be other factors. Like, let's say for, you know, it's easy to imagine that California Texas, Florida, New York, those are the largest populations, right, in our country. Right. Mm-hmm. In those Arizona's in there. I think um, some factors to consider is like weather, right? So mm-hmm. uh, California, Texas, Arizona, Florida, you know, have the weather, the good weather, meaning, you know, it's warm, uh, People are outside doing these sorts of activities related to that. Um, and there's a big wide open sky, right? So maybe that accounts for a higher percentage of reports. I, I was born and raised in Washington State. And when I moved to Arizona in 1980, I was like, oh, my gosh, look how big the sky is. Because in Washington, all you saw were tall pine trees everywhere blocked in your view, right? Right. And I mean, it's beautiful in its own right, but you just didn't see a lot of sky. Plus, it it would be cloudy for, you know, six months of the year. Moving to Arizona, it's, you know, it, we only get seven inches of rain in an entire year. It's, you know, you have well over 300 sunny days and nights here. And so, you know, you're going to just simply be more apt to see something uh, if it's up there. So I think maybe that those kind of factors account for it. Um, like you mentioned, you know, woods or, you know, just the environment and the isolation and, and people in those sorts of places. We we get a lot of reports, believe it or not, from the Grand Canyon here. Um, and, you know, super dark there and not populated. And, you know, you could just imagine, you know, it's, it, you know, if the UFOs could operate there and largely unseen type of thing. Um, and then over the ocean, there's tons like off the coast of, um, you know, off the Atlantic coast and the Pacific coast, all in both seaboards up and down. There's lots of UFO activity over the water. So uh, it's, it's just so fascinating. And it just seems like everything is accelerating right now. 
I don't know if that's just because we have more cell phones and and cameras, but it seems more than that. Certainly people are talking about it, making reports. And, um, you know, it's, it's the subject of a lot of attention right now. And I think people, because I, I know this sounds really strange to some people, but I always tell people, you know, like it or hate it, the TV shows have helped people just come out more and more because it seems more mainstream once it's on TV. Yeah, um, I totally agree. And the other things, now I grew up where we could talk about it and we could talk about anything unusual, which is part of nature, my mom would say. And growing up around all of this, I was fortunate. I always thought it was okay to talk about. So when I'd go to school and talk about it, people thought I was crazy. But in the past, what, 10 years, people are becoming more outward, more likely to talk about it. And I think it is important because something's going on. And I think the more we talk about it, the more people are going to listen and we're going to be more open and maybe we'll be more open enough to discover what is really going on. Yeah, I think that's super important. And and in fact, even I have to give credit to the scientific community because, you know, if you'll remember, um, we'd started discovering exoplanets in 2004 Mm -hmm. and prior Prior to that, nobody would even acknowledge the possibility of life elsewhere. This wasn't done, right, even in the scientific community. But as we began to, to, you know, um, find these exoplanets, now we're up to 5,000 or 8,000. I I can't even remember now. Mm -hmm. You know, with the James Webb Telescope, they're actually able to, you know, image an actual planet, not just determine it by its gravitational effect or or it, it blocking a star, which is typically how they, they find them. But now they actually be able to, to, to image one. But I think that kind of turned the scientific community over to the possibility of life elsewhere. Now they're not down with life visiting us here quite yet. They haven't got, got that far, but you know, it's a it's a chink in the armor. Right. And I think it's really important. And like you said, I'll even say like television shows like Ancient Aliens, they've been on since I think 2009 or 10 or something. So, you know, it has helped people to consider alternative explanations for the history that we've been um, told by our mainstream providers, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, the, and and the thing is, is that, the main, we think the mainstream has proof. In some cases they do, but largely they don't. This is their opinion based on the, the evidence, which is fine. I don't, I don't dispute that at all. But um, that being the case, uh, um, like ancient aliens, for example, those theories are also theories and they're alternative to the theories that mainstream is putting out. And I think um, at first, that was really disturbing, and I think if anyone knows their history about Eric von Donneken, he he's the guy that wrote the book Chariots of the Gods in the late 60s, which is the basis for ancient aliens, and um, he was just pilloried by everybody when that came out. But you have to remember that you know people were very religious at the time, and it was really upsetting them from that that 
perspective. And there's still that kind of resistance now from religious folks or uh, even religious people within the government. There's there's a bit of a civil war going on between, you know, those in government who want disclosure and those who don't. And those who don't, um, it's been said by Lou Alizano that, you know, they're religious and they, they fear it and they fear that it's demons or something else like that. So uh, there's a lot of ideas out there. And the fact is, we don't know for a fact what it is, or if someone does, they're not sharing that with the rest of us. So we are still in that. I, I like to say the process is, it, it's almost like journalism, you know, uh, what, where, when, why, who, and how, right? And those are the questions that we're asking about UFOs. And for me as an investigator, I can easily not easily, but the data, the, the more easily collected data is what happened, where did it happen, and when did it happen? Okay, so those, those produce data and it's valuable, but what we're really trying to get to is who and why, right? That's what we all want to know. Who is it and why are they doing it? So uh, that's, that's the nut we're trying to crack now, but we're, we're getting closer and closer and asking these questions and pressuring our government um, and listening to people who have had these experiences, this, this is the kind of thing that's going to get us there. And, and then uh, also I have to say, MUFON does not directly investigate what many people consider paranormal. However, right. a lot of our cases contain what you would consider a paranormal element to it. So things like like orbs, for example, uh, within a home or, you know, shadow people. And, and some of these other things uh, are reported along with a UFO sighting or encounter. So now we don't, you know, we don't get our mail meters out and, <laughs> and, and go to your house and look for ghosts. That's not MUFON's game at all. However, we acknowledge that there, there's something there uh, some relationship. And so when you look at everything that's unexplainable, so whether it's paranormal or UFOs or, you know, uh, any of these things um, throughout history, they, they've existed and they've been reported. And I mean, even from thousands of years ago, right? right. Some people say, you know, in the Bible or in the Veda or other religious texts and, and then just older writings and and wood carvings and all these things that representative of UFOs present and interacting with with mankind. So my 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 take on that at this point, and it's kind of evolved, is that look, I am willing to say at a bare minimum that there is a, a non-human intelligence interacting with humankind, producing both positive and negative experiences. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm willing to commit to at this point, um, based on my, you know, investigations and experiences and the data that, you know, I have access to. Um, and uh, although I, I will not dispute the fact that somebody may know more, but it's just not being. I, I always find really interesting to you hear stories of if they've been abducted, that these beings are 
whatever they are, camouflage themselves into people that they somewhat know. Mm-hmm. Which I find fascinating. The other thing I wanted to ask you, which I always found fascinating, is a lot of the experiencers see owls. Yes. And yep. And that just fascinates me for many, many reasons. But they seem to coincide quite a bit. You you see now, usually you have an experience. Yeah, that is so interesting. There's a wonderful book written by um, Mike McClellan called the, uh, the uh, what is it called? The, He's the I'm guy that saw the, the owls. The owls, yeah. Yeah, like uh, a flock of owls or something like that in the woods. Oh, you no, know, his experience are many over yeah. the years. Collected the experience of others, but they're largely what's termed a screen memory. And mm-hmm. screen memory appear to be um, when people have contact or abduction or an experience, um, some people are given this a screen memory. And owls is one of them. Um, another common one is deer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and there, there, there are other things. And it appears to be a way to, whether they're protecting our psyche or protecting their identity or something in between, we're not we're not real sure. But um, yeah, the use of screen memories is is common in in abductions, and I do find that fascinating too. If if it's if it's to protect us or to protect them, or maybe a little of both, I don't know. But generally, those things can be uncovered in time uh, with therapy with hypnosis, or a person may just develop. Um, more conscious memory as time goes and um, they understand what's really behind those screen memories. The other thing that's interesting, I've always found interesting is the sleep paralysis. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is so common. If if not everyone that I've talked to has the mm-hmm. sleep paralysis. Um, that's terrifying. Oh Yeah. Because you know what's going on around you, but you can't move. Yeah. You know something's going on around you. That just scares me. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, some of the uh, people who are, you know, very skeptical or attempt to debunk the whole, you know, abduction scenario do blame it solely on sleep paralysis. However... And that sounds logical to to people, but when you look in the details of the cases and what people have experienced, and even some of the physical proof uh, that they they have or physical evidence, uh, you know, it it clearly goes much further. You know, sleep paralysis is not enough of an explanation to explain what happened to them. But I would say absolutely that some people who are experiencing sleep paralysis may not actually be having uh, a contact or, or an experience with, with aliens. It just is a product of uh, the fear that can come with, with, um, with the sleep paralysis and nightmares and dreams and so forth. Sure. So, but I always like to make that distinction because people who like to debunk stuff, they just throw out one little thing that sounds logical and 
you know, it's sort of like, well, hey, if one's a hoax, they're all a hoax. It's that kind of mentality. Uh, right. If one if one case of sleep paralysis, they're all cases of, you know, that's the logic that they use. But it's it's clearly falls way short of explaining what's really seen and experienced by people. So uh, you just it the devil's in the details. I always say that with any case, any investigation, the details matter. And those details can can you know eliminate something prosaic, um, and they can confirm something extraordinary. So uh, that's why we really use a rigorous scientific process to 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 investigate a UFO case uh, because uh, it can really yield good data. Right. So, in your opinion. Which part of the country has the most sightings or the most abductions, or is it just spread out everywhere now? Yeah, I would I would say it is spread out everywhere. There there are definitely the hot spots like I had talked about right. first, you know, the top five in terms of number of reports. But let me make this point as well. Uh reports are not the same same as total experiences, right? right. Because some people estimate that only one in 10 people that have an experience report it, but I think that's way too low. I think it could be one in a hundred or one in a thousand because before today, uh, this show, if you had a UFO experience, any of your listeners, would they even know to whom to make a report? Exactly. Would they do it because of fear of ridicule or perhaps they don't even, you know, know in their own mind for sure that this happened, right? So you just can imagine how big a group that really is versus those who actually overcome all of those obstacles and eventually make a report. So I, I think it could be more like one in a thousand people. So could you imagine if like MUFON alone does, you know, 10 or 12,000 cases a year, well, if you multiply those by 1,000, you're talking 1.2 million cases, yeah. actual experiences a year. So this is why I say, uh, you know, the experiencers uh, are are likely in the millions, not not the thousands that we that we have reports on. So there's a difference between what's reported and what's experienced, and no one can really get an accurate figure of that, right? That's it's like trying to prove a negative, but, but it, it's clear that there's much more happening worldwide to so many people of all walks of life. Uh, and not just to tell them drunk at 4 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> scientists, and military personnel and law enforcement. I mean, the largest two groups of reports, I, our our law enforcement military if you if you were to put up if you were to you know assign groups uh but th- these are individuals who are out in the environment right out you yeah. know being exposed and and of course the military that ufo seems to have an interest in that certainly things that are um related to nuclear either nuclear energy or nuclear weapons or nuclear systems or nuclear capabilities or nuclear storage systems, whatever it is, they they have their interest and they are around them a lot. So, you know, just who who knows what the what's really happening. I mean, we 
it's just kind of all over the place. But, uh, you know, it, it feels like we have a lot of activity right now. And I think the data bears that out. I don't know if it means we're being loaded up to something or not, but I can say that we are, the UFO community is getting closer and closer to making an identification just based on all this data that's being collected. Now we have additional partners uh, with uh, other UFO groups um, and with the U.S. government now, MUFON is also sharing data with them. So or with the with Arrow, for example. So mm-hmm. um, I I think the 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 likelihood that we're going to make move from just what we're in to who and why is getting closer and closer by the day. Um, and that you know I find that terribly exciting. It's I mean it's frightening to some degree, but I would say mm-hmm. to folks, look, we've been in, engaging them or they've been engaging us at least in our modern history since the 40s, and they've not hurt anyone. They've not attacked us. They haven't, you know, um, you know, caused ruin like a Hollywood movie, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, they, we some seem to be uh, being observed and interacted with on an individual basis. Uh, those are facts that we know of right now. Right. And probably mm-hmm. likely other engagement that we might not be completely aware of uh, so, and and what I'm suggesting there is, as I alluded to earlier, terminology, you know, uh, someone might say, oh, they're angels or demons, you know, and that's kind of like a religious perspective. And others, you know, may say they're, they're you know, interdimensionals or ultra terrestrials or, you know, and, and then, you know, other people like, you know, EDEs, uh, extraterrestrial biological entities. Or some feel like they are, you know, AI um, and, and other ideas, right? So there's just this whole mix mix of, of things that they could be in. But, you know, one could ask, are they, is this all really just one phenomena and we have different names for it and it expresses itself differently? I mean, ghosts and all of it, you know, or are these things all isolated and different and for whatever reason, they're manifesting to a higher degree right now. I don't, I don't have the answer to that. But those are just sort of the ideas that you know cross your mind when you look at the spectrum of this this whole phenomena. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I often wonder because I hear so many things say they could be possibly different things, and mm-hmm. like you said, AI, interdimensional. The fact of the matter is, we just don't know yet. Yeah. Exactly. But to me, that means it's worth studying. In fact, it's, you know, probably the most important things that we can be studying, you know, right now as, as a, you know, humanity and, it, you know, it affects right. us all. It doesn't matter our, our age or our gender or the nation we live or any of that. I mean, it really, what I like about it, it puts a fine point on the fact that there's only one race. And that's the human race, you know, mm-hmm. and even even President uh, Ronald Reagan back in the 80s said that in a, in a speech before, uh, uh, you know, many nations at the U.N., he says, I wonder I wonder if we were threatened by, you know, an alien force from outside of Earth, 
if it would cause us all to unite and understand, you know, our place in in the universe. That we're we're one family. We're one race. We're the we're humans yeah. now, and uh, we would put all of our petty grievances aside and, and unite. And I, I really like that message, and I think that's that's really a, quite a uh, you know an evolved viewpoint of the of the possibility and and how we should look at ourselves and, you know, the questions that could be answered, like, you know, where did we come from and, you know, where are we going? What does the future hold for us? I mean, all people ask those questions and, and this is a topic that could answer them. I think so too. And you know, that, that's a really powerful statement. Would we come together as one? That is an amazing thought, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it could really be the uniting factor that we so desperately need. Which brings out the Star Trek geek in me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. One federation. Right <laughs> yeah. Well, it, many claim that there is a galactic federation that is similar to that, that um, federation in Star Trek. And, and so, you know, some people claim to, to in fact, <laughs> I'll just throw this tidbit out. The CIA also talks about the Galactic Federation, and they had a program of remote viewers, and probably many of your listeners are aware of what remote viewing is, and they remote viewed, um, you know, the Galactic Federation, and this is documentation. You can go to the CIA's website today, and you can read about their long involvement with uh, psychics and remote viewing Mm -hmm. and uh, UFOs and a whole lot of stuff that you just, you would not believe, but it's there. And um, it's not a crazy conspiracy theory. This is U.S. government documentation stating exactly what they, uh, what they have been involved with. And it's mind blowing. The FBI also has it. In fact, I think there was like 1.5 million pages of declassified U.S. government-related UFO documentation posted on the various um, websites, and you can you can go look at them, look at it today. So, I mean, oh, it's so fascinating. I, I mean, I could talk forever on this, but I think it's really cool. <laughs> yeah, that it's real. I mean, it's real. And the United States Navy says UFOs are real. And the Department, U.S. Department of Defense, the DOD, says UFOs are real. We don't know what they are, but they are. They're not ours. They're not China. They're not Russia. Mm-hmm. They are not made by human hands is one of the expressions that they use. Uh, so it's it's amazing and fascinating the time that we're in. I, I agree. I agree. Not only do we hear people opening up and coming out, we're being fed more information. Like you said, 20 years ago, those weren't, have been available to us. Those oh, documents. So true. Yeah. You know, you'd see a TV show like the X-Files. It, it would be a myth. It would be not out there like it is now. Yeah. That's yep. so fascinating. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sean, I have a couple questions for you. If yeah. people would like to purchase your book, am I correct to say it's on Amazon? Yeah. Yep. They can either um, 
just search my name, Shane Hurd, S-H-A-N-E-H-U-R-D, or uh, the title's a little long, but UAP, A Beginner's Guide to Researching UFOs. I think it's $14.95 in paperback and yeah. $4.99 on Kindle. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, like, the book, I, I wrote it from the perspective that, you know, many people that are interested but in the closet, so to speak, are now coming out. Um, because the capital technically has been lifted. And I wanted to make sure that they didn't have to go down some of the rabbit holes I had to go down in researching this, you know, prior to the taboo being lifted. And so, um, and I really talk about the top issues in ufology that are really important, you know, like disclosure and government cover cover up, but also terminology and the political science and about you know, like classic places and why they're meaningful and important. And then, you know, what's good data and what's bad data and, you know, how to look for hoaxes so you don't get tricked into, you know, thinking about some silly stuff like that and wasting your time. Um, this directs you, you know, the good, solid information and the, the important topics in UFO to really focus on and instead of the nonsense. Um, now, but I don't, and when I mean nonsense, I mean, you know, untrue stuff. Uh, but but I will say, you know, there's the pop culture side of UFOs, and it's really fun. I love it. My granddaughters, they just think, you know, they're 13 and 14. They actually think I'm cool. I'm a 16. <laughs> and, you know, that's that's awesome. I mean, you just can't beat that. And then, you know, like you said, all the great television shows and stuff that, and and the movies and the books and video games and you name it, everything alien and UFO related, it's, it's ingrained in our culture. And, yeah. you know, it, it can be scary, but it can also be fun. And, you know, that's what humans like, right? We like that. And so, um, you know, I, I fully embrace it. And, and look, you can make fun of me and crack jokes. I love it. You know, that kind of a thing. I, I'm secure enough in, in my knowledge and experience of the reality the topic so but i can have fun with it too and and i just there's i love everything about it, it it's really just um such a uh, an important topic but a fun topic on top of it it's just a great combination i concur i i, lo I love discussing all of this stuff that's why i have this podcast now i just think people are a wealth of knowledge and I'm enjoying it also. I just think it's great. And you know what? People make fun of me all the time and I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, hey. like I tell people, once I hit 55 years of age, I don't give a crap what anyone thinks about me, right? <laughs> me neither. <laughs> pleasing everybody else, right? You know, trying to, you know, make a career and a family and all that. And religion and blah, blah, blah. Just, you know, trying to please everybody and do everything right and, you know, be what you're supposed to be sure, and, yeah. and, you know, put your own interests aside. Well, you know, 55 years old, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to do something for me now. I, I spent my whole life for others. I'm not going to exclude doing that, continuing to help others. But I mean, just I'm, I'm going to pursue this interest and, you know, back to that. Think of me what you will. Um, I don't care. And you are helping others. So Think of yeah. it that way. You're helping others that have been through a traumatic experience for one are yep. 
they need explanations because they've had experiences. And Absolutely. Those experiences can be very difficult and very confusing for many years for a lot of people. Yeah, and I have great compassion for people in that situation. Life is hard enough without having some extraordinary, unexplained thing happening to you. So, yeah, patience, acceptance, and all of that, non-judgmental is, is really, really important, I think. So outside of Twilight Tonic, is there any other interviews people can catch you on? Oh, boy. I um, Like you said, I, um, there's Ancient Aliens and History's Greatest Mysteries with Lawrence uh, Fishburne. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, they can go to MUFON.com uh, or, in my case, PhoenixMUFON.com um, and um, catch me there. And my, my email is shane at phoenixmufon.com. You can catch me there. I'm on Facebook, as Shane Heard, and I will gladly friend you and welcome you into the wonderful community that we have. And um, I, 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 I'm, I'm on another podcast tomorrow night. And, wonderful. Which uh, one is it? So they could catch that too. Uh, I love other podcasters. Oh, uh, yes. Um, convergence something. And ha, I, I feel bad. I can't <laughs> think of the whole name off the top of my head. And they're buddies of mine. Um, but yeah, yeah. If you Google, you know, Shane Hurd and either UFO or MUFON, mm-hmm. you, you can see many, many of the podcasts that, that I've been on. And, uh, you know, the variety of topics that have been discussed. And I mean, I've been on podcasts with just awesome people, you know, Uri Geller. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with him. Yeah. And uh, Colonel John Alexander, um, Rick Hoffman, you know, people from NASA, uh, just, uh, just, you know, the a broad, broad range and talking about, you know, many of these topics we've discussed in, you know, in great detail and from a science per- perspective or a law enforcement perspective or from a military perspective, all of those things that, you know, just, um, yeah, there's, you know, so much out there, but, um, uh, you know, it's, it's been an absolute privilege and pleasure, uh, for me to participate in any of this. And I'm still shocked that anyone would care what I have to think, but, uh, I'm You're glad to share my answer. <laughs> oh, thank, thank you. Uh, it's been a wonderful, wonderful ride for sure. I'm just loving it. Wonderful. Well, Shane, you know, it's been really awesome talking to you tonight. I hope you come back on at some point and we can catch up again. Yeah. Anytime, Judy, just, just let me know. I'll be very happy to do it. And I hope your listeners enjoy it. And I hope that they, they, uh, you know, uh, reach out and do some research on their own and, and uh, about UFOs and and get get bit by the same bug I did because it's it's great. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful! Thank you, Sean, so much for coming on. And you know, you have a great weekend, and hopefully, our paths will cross soon. Okay, sounds great. Thanks again, and and I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to you. It was a great show. The privilege was mine. Have a great night.